Well, good morning, church family. Again, it's so good to see you. Um, I'm excited because usually we take at least one Sunday uh, in January for t- uh, to title our Vision Sunday, in which we remind ourselves, almost like a family has to do from time to time, remind ourselves who we are, what we're for, what we're all about as a church. Um, our vision statement as a church family is this, we're called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. And you may hear that all the time, but maybe you don't quite um, know exactly what it means or what the implications are. And so what I'd love to do is read a piece of scripture uh, that has really formed in many ways this vision statement, and then talk a little bit about um, what that scripture says about our vision statement, and then share some plans for our year ahead. So uh, let's go to God's word from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This is obviously from the letter of Paul to the church that is in Colossae, one of the most glorious pictures of Jesus in the whole Bible. So let's hear God's word. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Anybody here have a fantasy profession? You know, when you're, maybe, maybe you're having a, a hard week in your job and, and you just begin daydreaming a little bit about what you, what you could be doing that could be exciting. You know, I've got a couple of those, not that I ever have a bad day uh, working for, for Third Church. Um, but I, I do have a couple of fantasy professions, and my favorite uh, fantasy profession, the dream job, is to be a bike courier, a bike courier. I, um, I first encountered uh, bike, uh, bike couriers when I lived in London right after college, and I was just fascinated by these guys. You know, in, in, a, in a highly congested city like London where it's difficult to get around, um, when people, when businesses need to send important documents intercity, it actually can be the most efficient uh, pathway to be on a bike, which can evade uh, many of the obstacles that, that trucks and, and vans can't. And so I would just admire these guys, you know, dodging traffic and skidding around trucks and jumping curves all to race to the destination to deliver the letter on time. So I decided, you know, I'm going to try this out. So I got a bike and I got a courier bag. Um, and I started r- riding to and from work, pretending like I was one of these guys, imagining myself training, you know, to be one of these bike couriers in hopes that one day, you know, I might be noticed and, and drafted or something or, you know, asked to, asked to be a, a bike courier along with them. Well, it didn't work out for me, um, partly because um, it was extremely dangerous. I, I hit uh, several parked cars and trucks. 
um, uh, it was, I learned that it was a very unlucrative uh, job, but also probably the most enormous barrier for me is that I have an absolutely hopeless sense of direction. So I, was, <laughs> I would constantly get lost in the streets of London, and what I would do, this was my, my, my way out, is what I would do is I would always, whenever I got lost, I would always return to the center of the city, which was Oxford Circus. Everywhere you are in London, there's always a sign that points to the center, always a sign to Oxford Circus. So wherever I was, no matter how lost I would get, I would look for the sign of Oxford Circus and I would return to the center because once I was in the center, I knew I could always find my way, return to the center. In many ways, that's the message of the book of Colossians, return to the center, return to the center. Paul's writing to a young, struggling church. This is actually a church that is in danger in many ways. Uh, Danger not just because of persecution, but frankly in danger because of false teaching, in danger because of heresy. Uh, That many false teachers have found their way into this early church and are beginning to preach a different gospel uh, and are sending many of them astray into behaviors and practices unbecoming of the gospel. And so Paul is writing to them to, to set things straight, to correct them, and his great message is to these early believers in Colossae, return to the center. The center is Christ. You're lost, you're confused, you're disoriented, you've, you've, you've mismanaged your way, you don't know the path. Here's what you need to do. Return to the center. Everything strips down to this. Return to the center, the center is Christ. Because once you find him, once you are set on him, rooted in him, looking to him, then you'll always be able to find your way. Your perspective will be clear. Return to the center. The center is Christ. If you read this passage carefully, it's truly amazing. I mean, this is one of the most important, dramatic passages about Jesus in the whole New Testament. Just look at some of the things that that Paul says about him. We only have time to just touch our toe in the surface here, but look at verses 15 through 20 and some of the things that Paul says about Christ. He says he's the one through whom God made the world... In him, all things were created, verse 16. He's the one that kind of binds everything in existence together. Verse 17, he's before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He says he's the, that Christ is the hope of our future, the one who guarantees our victory over death. He's almost like the, the prototype, the appetizer, the pioneer of a renewed humanity, the firstborn from among the dead, verse 18. He's, he says that Christ is the one through whom God will ultimately heal and restore everything that is wrong with the world and the universe. He will, through him, reconcile all things to himself, verse 20. And perhaps most dramatically, Jesus, this man, is God revealed to us. He is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. Within him, all God's fullness dwells, verse 19. As you looked in the mirror this morning... And that mirror perfectly reflected your own image back to yourself. So we look at Jesus and see a mirror image reflection of the fullness of the Godhead in him. All of God's grace and kindness. All of his justice and mercy. Everything that God is is contained in this one Jesus. Paul says he is the center of everything. The center of the past, the present, the future. The center that holds the earth and all creation together. He's the center of all truth, all revelation. He's the center of how we know who God is. He's the center of how we know who ourselves are. He exhorts us, are you confused? Are you disoriented? Are you afraid? 
Are you trying to figure out who God is and, and where God is or what God thinks of you? Are you struggling to figure out who you are? Are you, are you feeling worried and afraid about the future or the destiny of our planet? Paul says, in every case, look to Christ, return to him, because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the center. Return to the center. The center is Christ. In and through him, we always know the way. This is his message to us. And I just want to say this, dear third family, that as we look at our vision statement, call together for the renewal of all things, that last phrase, through Jesus Christ, is the most important phrase. This is at the center of our vision He is the one who modifies and defines and empowers everything else. And I I just want to be clear that this is the most important thing about our vision as a church. We can have some amazing strategic plans. You know, we can have some awesome uh, big ideas. We can have like super tight financial systems where we meet our budgets every year. We can have the greatest staff. We can have the awesomest worship services. We can have all the best programs. All of it's nothing. It's worth nothing if Christ is not at the center. If without Christ at the center, this is just meaningless religion. This is a, this is a sham, an empty farce without Christ at the center. This is at the center of our vision that Christ would have supremacy over all. That's the heart of who we are, that we want to be at third. So what I want to do is just look briefly at our statement, called together for the renewal of all things. It's really three parts. It's we're called, we're together, and we're for renewal. And look at how each of those things are centered in and grounded in Christ. And then talk for a few minutes about our plans for the year ahead, okay? So, so first, we're called through Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that God has called us to himself. It means that we're here not because we decided to be here, as much as you think you might have decided to be here, but we're here because God called you here, and ultimately God calls you to be in relationship with himself. Did you notice as I read verses 21 through 23 how many relationship words Paul uses? Did you notice that? He says, first he says, you were alienated from God in verse 21, and his enemies, in fact. Verse 22, he says, now you've been reconciled to God, which suggests that that relationship was broken. See, the Bible suggests that your main problem is not that you're a lawbreaker, but that you're a relationship breaker. That you were made for, more than any other relationship, you were made for this singular relationship with the Trinity, with the God who loves you. That you were made for God. You were made like God. You were made to live with God. You were made for intimacy with God. But the tragedy of the human condition is that sin has broken our relationship with God. And that rather than being one with God in intimacy, we are alienated from God and deeply separated. At the root of our loneliness and our anxiety, and our fears, and our sense of spiritual emptiness is this alienation, this separation that we all experience from God himself. But verse 22 has one of those glorious conjunctions of scripture. But God acted. God acted to intervene. He took the first step in reconciliation. If you've ever been in a a broken relationship before, you know how painful it can be to be separated and alienated from someone that you love. And the most important step in a broken relationship is the first step. That's the hardest step. Who moves first? Who goes first towards the other? And the Bible says God acted first. Even before we wanted to act, God acted. The offended one 
acted to step towards us and heal the breach and overcome the division. And in fact, in Jesus Christ, take upon himself the full weight of our rebellion, absorbing it in his physical body on the cross to reconcile us forever to God. Inviting people into, not into church, not into religion, but inviting people into a living relationship with God is at the heart of our vision. You see that, friends? This is how we started. Did you know the third church started in 1834 when a, a group of men and women who were members of First Presbyterian Church saw some people in Richmond that were far from God. They saw the dock workers who were working in Shaco Bottom on the James, working in ships and docks that came in and out through trade, and they went to start a mission to those people to share the good news of Jesus that they could be reconciled to God. And many came to know Jesus, and through that mission, Third Presbyterian was, was born. And friends, this has been our legacy for 185 years, and this is our legacy today, that we want to see people, men and women, boys and girls, not just learn how to uh, be moral, but to know the living God and to live in an eternal relationship with him. That's what we want to be about. Here at third, and so our not just what we do here through worship and teaching, and but also how we train you in prayer and scripture study, our classes and programs, our small groups and parish groups. All of this is oriented around knowing the one, the God that we were made for. We're called by Him through Christ. Second, though, we're called together through Jesus Christ. You know, I once heard to say that there's at least two conversions when you become a Christian. You're converted. To Christ, and then you're converted to community. That there is no such thing as a, as a lonely, alienated Christian. That to become a Christian means to be brought right into human community. Of course, the Christian life is personal. It's deeply personal. God wants you to know him personally and have a deep personal relationship with him. It's personal, but it's not individualistic. It's anything but individualistic. It's not just about you and God. It's about being a part of God's new community, his family. As Paul says in verse 18, Christ is the head of the body, the church. This is the most dominant metaphor for the church in the whole Bible, the Bible. I mean, the, the, the body, which says to you uh, that if you're a Christian, you're not just, the church is not a, a, a social club. You're not a member of a club in which you can come as you please and come in and out and just get what you need for your own personal needs and pay your dues once a year. That's not what the church is. The church, you're not, you're not a member of a club. You're a member of a body, which suggests profound interdependence. As interdependent as your ear is to your face, your, your finger is to your hand, and your foot is to your leg. This is how interdependently bound we are as a church family, so much so that by yourself... You're incomplete. You cannot be who fully who you are unless you are interdependently bound with other followers of Jesus. This too is central to our mission to see people not just brought to God, but brought to human community to experience the richness of real relationship. Y'all, y'all, you heard this shared about the Japanese, such an isolating culture. It's it's the same for Americans. I mean, Americans are some of the loneliest, most isolated people on the planet in history. We are so separated. We're so geographically 
fragmented. We are so socially and politically polarized and divided. So many of our relationships are, are mediated now through technology, which in some cases can really intensify alienation and hypocrisy. And, and God wants better for us than this. And one of our missions as a church in this day more than ever is to see social divisions broken down, to see alienated, lonely people brought in through Jesus to become that new body, that new humanity for which he died. That's our mission here at Third Church. And we do this in two main ways. First of all, we do that here. You know, we do this here as every Sunday in this building when we gather. This is our home. And so we're practicing being a family here. These ordinary practices of showing up, confessing our sin, hearing God's forgiveness, singing God's praise, hearing God's word preached, connecting with each other, growing in Christian community, learning, seeing our ch- raising our children together in the ways of Jesus. These ordinary habits are very powerful in the way that they bind us and create us together as a spiritual family. So this is central to forming us together. And then not only that, we also do this out there in the world because we know it's very easy to come to church and look pretty and nice when everything in your life is actually falling apart. It's very easy in a big service like this to be anonymous. And so that's why we've created 12 sub-congregations, if you will, 12 communities of people called parishes around our city, each of which are overseen by elders and deacons that are deeply committed to your care and spiritual nurture. And that each of those parishes have parish groups that communities groups that are open, that are multi-generational, that anyone can show up, no matter who you are, your background, your, where you are on the spiritual journey. A place where you can come and be known, where you can have a place and a people. That's our great vision as a church, not just to call people to God through Christ, but to demonstrate the power that Jesus has to build a new community through Christ. So we're called and we're called together. One last thing though, we're also for the renewal of all things through Christ. There's, there's two very famous bodies of water in Israel. You've probably heard of both of them. Uh, one is the Sea of Galilee in the north, and the other is the Dead Sea in the south. Uh, they could not be more different, though they are very geographically proximate. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is verdant and beautiful and full of life. The Dead Sea is, well, dead, toxic, no life there, no plants, no fish, nothing. Why? Well, the one, the Sea of Galilee, has input from a water source, and then it flows out to create the Jordan River, while the Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows into it, and nothing ever flows out. And this is, the, this is a contrast to the kind of people that God wants us to be. Like, not the Dead Sea that never flows out, but the Sea of Galilee. This is who we were meant to be, that not just to receive the grace of God in Jesus, not just to receive the joys of Christian community, but to be people who are then flowing outward to see those things extend into the world. If we don't flow out, then we become rotting containers and decaying cul-de-sacs. Grace is never meant to, to stay contained, but to flow outward. And that's why Paul says, through Christ, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, we're called, verse 23, to be messengers to all creation of the good news, as Paul was. God is in the business of renewal, friends. We say this all the time at third. 
He's, not, he's renewing individual people and lives and the brokenness of our histories and our past. But God is not just renewing people. He's renewing, he's renewing neighborhoods. He's renewing relationships. He's renewing communities. He's renewing cities. He's renewing uh, the arts. He's renewing our professions. He's renewing creation. He's renewing all things. And though we do not ultimately have any business to renew any of those things, Jesus alone does it. He, by his grace, invites us to be a part of that work that he's doing. And that's what we're about as a church. And so for us, that means we want to equip you. We're equipping church to live out the gospel in your everyday life, to think about how you can be salt and light of Jesus in your neighborhoods, in your schools, uh, in your parishes, in your places of work, in all the different industries and sectors that you work in in Richmond. It means that we are a church that cares about mercy and justice Uh, for the vulnerable, for the poor, and the immigrant, and the refugee, and the orphan, and the widow. It means that we are a church that's committed to planting churches, to seeing gospel communities spread, and it means that we're a church that gives generously to the work of missions here in Richmond and around the world. Jesus is renewing all things, and we get to be a part of it. So that's who we are. That's that's what we're about, family. Uh, We are called together for the renewal of all things, and all of this is through Jesus Christ, the center of all. In and through him, we do our work, we're held together. So let me just end this way. What are a few things that we're gonna be leaning into this year to lean into our vision? Well, first of all, we're gonna continue to grow and strengthen our parishes and our parish life. Had a great training a couple of weeks ago with our elders and deacons who oversee our parishes, really trying to equip them even more to support and connect with folks you in, in throughout our city. We also are continuing to strengthen and multiply our parish groups. And a big emphasis for our parish groups this year is to help our parish groups become more hospitable places for people who don't know Jesus at all. So that they can become places that are welcome and they can begin to take their first steps in learning about his love for them. So that's parish life. Second, some great training opportunities going on this year here uh, at 600 Forest Avenue. Heard Ed talk about two weekends, our Feb term weekend, in which my friend Don Everts is coming. I'm so excited about that. Training us to become more faithful, eager witnesses in our homes and in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, and with our friends. You can find details on that on page 13. And then the spring and May, we're bringing in uh, one of the most famous missiologists in the world, Dr. Chris Wright, um, who will be teaching us how to become a more missional church, learning from the global church. So that'll be really exciting the first weekend in May. By far the biggest thing on our agenda this year, friends, is our Renew campaign. Uh, This is pretty exciting because after five years, actually it's longer than that, we were talking about what to do about our building when I started here in 2005. Um, So it's been about 15 years that we've been planning and thinking and praying and figuring out what to do about the constraints and the limitations and the failing mechanical systems of our building. And so we're finally ready to begin renewing our work here. Let me tell you a bit about why we're doing this and tell you why through a story. Some of you heard me tell this. 2005, when Sarah and I moved and I started as um, a young associate pastor, 27 years old, um, here at 3rd, Sarah and I bought um, this tiny little house that we loved in North Church Hill, um, and we renovated it, and it was perfect for our family because at the time we just had one little girl and a dog, uh, and it fit us very well. And we did the mission of the gospel and Jesus in that neighborhood that he had called us to for about 10 years. And then 10 years, we looked up, and our family was not the little family that it was before. We had four girls, 
Um, and we had one bathroom in the house, and it was, or one, one full bathroom in the house, and it was getting difficult. And so, we, uh, so what did we do? We, we had to discern God's will. You know, was God calling us to stay in this home? We thought so, yes. And so what would he have us do? And so we decided to uh, do uh, what many of us do. We, we enlarged our home. We added a bathroom and a bedroom and, and expanded the kitchen. And it enabled us to continue the mission of Jesus in that little part of the world for several more years. So we renewed our home so we could renew our mission. And friends, I want to suggest to you that this is what we're about to do. Uh, this, this home here has been an amazing home for us since 1956. Uh, it's been more than just a building. It's been a, a spiritual home in which thousands of sermons have been preached from this pulpit and tens of thousands of Sunday school lessons have been taught in these walls and funerals and weddings and countless uh, events and community meetings. It's, just, it's been truly a remarkably well-stewarded place for our spiritual family to grow and thrive. The problem is, though, now we've looked up almost 70 years later, and we're not the little family that we were in 1956 when this building was built. Uh, the last few decades have brought tremendous wear and tear and, tr- and uh, pressure as this building has aged. Uh, and even the last five years, as we've had 40% attendance growth here, um, it's, the building has just intensified the pressure upon it. And so what we want to do is this. We want to renew our home not just so that we can have a nice building. We want to renew our home so we can renew our mission, so that we can continue the mission of the Christ-centered gospel that our church has been engaged in uh, for 185 years. So that's what we're doing. I'll show a video about that in just a moment. So friends, let me come back to where I started today. Paul is calling us to return to the center, and the center is Christ. This is the most important thing that we could ever say about our vision here as a church, that in our calling, in our togetherness, in our mission as we are sent out, we must return to the center. The center is Christ. That's our prayer. That's our hope. The centrality of our vision, all that we do is for naught, unless this is the truth for us. May God center us in Christ in the coming year and for all the years to come. That's my prayer. Let's let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you have been so faithful to this church for so many years. And we pray now that as we listen to your voice and as we move ahead in the coming years, that you would use this season to not just renew uh, this physical space, but that you would renew our hearts and you would renew our mission that we can continue the work of the gospel for many years to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.